0: We're going to do this. Uh, I haven't got the thing written down, we haven't so the script. can you just jazz? Right, I'll, ent- prof-
3: I'll try and remember it. Well, uh, w- it what goes... Did we say? What did we say? Okay, three, four. Hello, and welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Jason Hazley. And I'm Jason Hazley. Oh, hang on. I should have written this down. And I'm Joel Morris. That's it. And as uh, usual, we're joined by someone, something, something, comedy, something... Something yep. talk about something funny that they love. Yep. Um by I'm Jason Hazley. By by um Goodbye. Sorry, no. By by Taking it apart. T- by taking by taking right. it apart, maybe we'll quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. And both approaches are valid. Working. That's it. Um, oh that's great. Maybe we'll learn something. Brilliant. I like that. Welcome doing it live. to Raw. <laughs>
0: Um, I hello. We're, we're joined this week for our this special shambles. guest.
3: <laughs> I can't That's make it, guys. The bus is late. Our special guest this week is the marvelous Andy Stanton. Hello. Hello, Andy. Hello, Jason. Hello, Hello Joel. I <laughs> know, no, but I sort of feel that there's, there's a symbolic... I thought you guys were doing quite well. No, There's a symbolic shambles, actually, which we should be embracing for this episode, It feels there, a bit... Really? It, we should be a bit loose, shouldn't we? Yeah. I, mean, I think the first loose thing
0: was to forget to bring the piece of paper with the intro written on it. That's a good start.
3: I don't think anyone noticed. No, was, no, no. It was no, quite no.
0: slicked no, was done, wasn't it? Seamless. Absolutely I, seamless. I think, I think uh, we pros might notice, but uh, Joe Public at home...
4: Yeah, the lay person be. wouldn't have a clue. No,
0: no. no. Not a clue. I not see bit. anything had gone wrong. Uh, yes. So, Andy, you're preparing for a Stage thing at the moment, aren't you? Because obviously you you do books, yeah. and you are now doing what you know, and books are on stage. Yeah, Where yeah. Those?
4: Well, the National Theatre come to me in it, <laughs> and they go and they go. Would you like to turn one of your Mister Gun books into a play? And I said. I've always thought it should be a musical, which so that that was their first oh, mistake, really? and that was my first mistake. And <laughs> from from there on, we've just the some mistakes have snowballed, and it's actually coming out at the end of July, and then oh, it runs God. all of August, and it's the ride of my life. Wow! Yes. wow. is it
0: is it a bit frightening? Yeah, <laughs> is it is, is it frightening because doing theatre and things is just frightening, or is it frightening because you're used to being on your own, and this is a big collaboration, and there's lots of other people?
4: Uh, yeah. no, no, it's uh, it's frightening because it's a big endeavour and you don't know what's going to happen till it's ap- actually up on legs on the night, or standing up. Or I thought I was quite good at the theatre jargon, but no. Um, <laughs> I use the word declared a lot now. I go, well, let's just, should we just make that declared then? That's what you have Ooh, to say that, in theatre. What's, what's
3: that? What's, well,
4: it's like sort of saying, we haven't really got the money to do this, prop, so let's just let's sort of make a virtue of it. Let's just make it declared that the guy is wheeling it off rather than we're flying it off with pyrotechnics or something.
0: Don't hide your limitations. Make so, it, Like the coconuts in Holy Grail. Make a joke of it.
4: Yeah, yeah, broadly, but you wouldn't understand not being <laughs> not in theatre. No. And then the other no. thing is, everything's offers. I mean, uh, that's an offer, and uh, that's, so I'm enjoying what that. What have but they done to you? What have, they, what have I done wow. to them? It's a horrible mess. And um,
3: there's offers in theatre because I know there's offers in improv.
4: Yeah, it's very similar. Is it the I, same sort of thing. Yeah, they'll, they'll, the actors will look at the part of the script and they'll sort of, you know, and to me, it's just the words what I've written. Mm. And but then the director will say, actually, think about that. That's quite a big offer. And I, the line is something like, you know, my leg hurts, and I'm like, how's that an offer? But then I go, oh yeah, maybe it is. It's an offer that somebody has to respond to. Everything is an offer in theatre. Oh, I see. Oh, and they're oh, they're I brilliant. See. They're, so art oh, is something that calls for a reaction, rather. I think just, so. Yeah. Don't
0: just read the words out.
4: Again, it's God. hard to explain to
3: those not, the not not in. Not in the game. Um, but I feel I've got. I feel I've got so much to learn. I mean, I, I thought I thought I was good with theatre jargon because I knew the word tabs and iron <laughs> and things like that. But I, no, I don't think I know tabs. I don't think we do tabs at the National. Um,
4: Which are you in the big room? Are you in the Olivier? No, we're in the Dorfman. Thanks for asking. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that's even bigger. No, the other the other end of it is that yeah, when you write a book, it's quite solitary and it's very solitary. It's horrible. Every day is like another slice of an endless rainbow and uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Work at home, kids, it's fun. But, but in theatre, it's suddenly really collaborative and that's hard to. it's hard to give over, give right. my baby up, something mm. that I've lived with for 15 years, that series of books, to a bunch of people. And that's been my biggest challenge, is just knowing when not to step in and go, oh, excuse me, actually, I think you'll find that there's an interior <laughs> rule that only exists in my head that probably isn't actually relevant to your process now. I'll just be quiet. And I'm uh, sort of learning more and more of that. I feel like I've learned about five years of theatre in six months. Wow. Which is much better than the other way round. That would be inefficient, <laughs> wouldn't it?
3: Wow. What, to what extent is, it, is the script actually... Well, it's a book, isn't it, in yeah. a musical? What, to what extent is the book finished by the time it goes into rehearsal? Is there an awful lot more work to be done on it? Uh, yes, <laughs> especially if I'm the playwright. <laughs> so,
4: sometime, probably less so. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, there's, there's loads of things that change. You ju- I mean, the first thing is I'm adapting my book and I find that lots of things that work on the page just don't work on a stage. And you have to make them more dynamic. You have to make them more dramatic. You have to give bigger offers. And you have to <laughs> declare certain things. Um, but then you find the stuff that looked good in the script, you find problems that you didn't know were going to come up. I mean, a very broad thing is that this was written when I, in my head, we had fifty people, and we don't. We have six actors and four musicians. So, how do we get right. the bear off and get them changed into Captain Brazil in the space of one? There's no lines in between. Let's write some more lines. Or right. yeah, but there's many, many sort of variants on that. Or yeah, we. we I mean, in the last. Couple of weeks, and we're about we're two weeks from going up on stage. In the last couple of weeks, I must have rewritten three or four big scenes quite substantially, and there'll be a few more. Wow! But it's very
0: normal, apparently. Yeah, It's, yeah. it's all problem solving. I, mean, I suppose all creativity is just problem I solving love anyway.
4: I, I love editing. That's my favourite part of writing. So this is just like editing in twelve dimensions <laughs> in space in a straitjacket on yeah. fire made of your internal fears yeah, yeah. On, fire, <laughs> on fire. Being uh, doing creative stuff is f- I'm fascinated by my own minutiae. I happen to know that at least one of you two is Joel. Um, the minutiae of the work and sort of you, you, how you get there, uh, only you have that sort of micro-topography of understanding. And it would—it's no one else can understand it, and even you can't see everything that you did to get yeah. uh, in, yeah. your, in your process. And I find that endlessly fascinating. Or when you're performing live, you know, I go and talk at book festivals and stuff. Over the years, I've honed and continue to hone my sort of material as I talk to kids and, there's, and their parents and there's loads of improvisation. But, you know, only you know that you used to do that bit really slowly a yeah. hundred times and on the hundred and first time you just accidentally did it fast and then you, yeah. uh, you yeah. can't yeah. follow it. Or. It
0: sort of all mulches down. I always find that when you're, when you're doing any project or, or, or writing anything or making anything, that every time you make a good decision, you immediately forget you made that decision. And that just goes into the bank of that's how that's done. And you sort of, whenever you're looking at a plot you've done or a page of jokes you've done, it becomes compost. It just becomes, it all mulches down. And all the, all the thousands of decisions you made to get to the point where you went, it's about a cat. Yeah. You go, well, it's always been about a cat. That's you go, no, it took, that took weeks. Oh, yeah, side. yeah. And they then become invisible. And you start fetishizing the tiny decisions you're making on top of the tiny decisions. And you're only thinking about the very, very top layer. And you forget the work that was put into getting to the stage where you could decide what color the cat was.
4: But also it makes it a bit quicker. And I think a bit quicker for next time that you won't spend so long. Yeah. before you get to the cat maybe it's not that <laughs> efficient but like you sort of go you have some sort of internal thing where you go i've kind of built the app in i've yeah. built the app to do that a bit faster next time or to get to that bit it's hard the software's to talk about, more efficient so yeah, you are you, you you not yourself an, a firmware upgrade
0: <laughs> so you can work a bit faster yeah
4: <laughs> what do you do when you work at home you give yourself a
0: firmware upgrade <laughs> and then when you've done that you go and wash your
4: hands and uh, that brings us nicely on to, well, <laughs> to you, filth.
0: You, you, you have brought something absolutely filthy in. that You that, uh, This was you mentioned this to me in passing, and you said this was the most inspirational book. This was the thing that made you want to write. Yeah. And I love the idea that it's this. Do tell the boys and girls what you have brought in. I uh, w- wish it weren't.
4: But <laughs> 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 it's Nicholas Nickel. No, it's, uh, it's Bachelor Boys, the Young Ones book, which was the comedy book uh, brought out to tie in with the Young Ones television series in the early 80s.
0: In every lifetime this up online to see if there's anything about this and there is absolutely nothing no one has written about this book no one's really. the uh, the only person who's written about it and i couldn't get in because it was behind a paywall richard curtis reviewed this book for the literary review and he reviewed it next to anna karenina as a two (laughs) as a two for one (laughs) review and i think that's exactly where we should be looking at this is they are both great works of literature that have influenced many people
4: yes (laughs) i think that's i haven't read anna karenina i tried couldn't be bothered. See, <laughs> now that's the
0: difference. I, I I would say that's the difference of these books. Any of these books, whatever you grew up with, whatever your one of these was yeah, that, that yeah. you read and I read that it will have had a deeper impact on you than most novels you've ever read, which you might have read once. You will have read this again and again.
4: Well, I'm a big novel reader and everything goes in and you use it. It goes into that mulch that you were talking about. Bachelor Boys is the book that, yeah, it probably it, it's, it's the template from which I sprouted my... Fur. <laughs> it gave me lots of shapes of jokes and lots of shapes of routines, and it's what it gave me more than anything is mucking about with form. Yes. Yeah, you know that's that's what I yeah. do in Mister Gum. This was the book. This is the book that just showed me take it, run with it, break it, break it some more.
0: There's no rules.
4: No. Yeah. But know the rules. And, yeah. and squash them into smithereens.
1: Honestly, whenever anything explodes in this house, it's always. Beautiful.
0: Because it looks like it's, it's a chaotic, like, like a lot of these books, it's a chaotic looking book. But the first thing I noticed when I opened it up is who designed it. It's designed by Neville Brody who's the guy who designed the face. He was like the most influential typographer huh. of the time. They mm. got the best guy in the business who designed like, high-end magazines to do this. So the perfect example of someone who knows how to do it, who's then going to smash it all up.
4: That's it. I mean, it's dressing up the gags so that when you come to a page, you know, oh, this is sort of a takeoff of magazine agony aren't letters or, yeah. you know, or th- th- there's a bit called craft corner and you just know where you are. And the typography doesn't insist on itself. But it just it just beds each piece so that a big disparate load of everything holds <laughs> together and then you just go, fine, I don't need to know why there's a piece called Craft Corner in this. I don't need to know why Neil's suddenly writing a cookery book in this. <laughs> it's just, I know I know it's there because the typography just goes, cookery book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The great thing about these books is they, they sort of contain multitudes. They've got, they're, they're a grab bag. They're supposed to be like a big chocolate box.
4: Yeah, and and also, looking at it now, many years later, I'm also a bit hipper to the... Yeah, they're trying to fill pages as well. Yeah, And they're kind of splitting the difference. They want it to be a big grab bag of stuff and ideas, but occasionally, I can see Jason just flicking through it now, there's an entire page which is Neil dressed as a hitchhiker, and it's funny, Yeah. but it's also another page done, isn't it? And, you yeah. know, let's get it out. I can see it with a more cynical eye. The other thing I see, <laughs> um, having... Uh, been an author for 13 years now is uh, lots of typos that I just that hurt me <laughs> Oh really? yeah yeah it, but it's fine because there is so much material in there but I would never let them get in yeah I, I would you know you even when you say you'll never let them get in five still get into any given project no three but but really there's there's hundreds in in bachelor boys
0: but it's got a feeling of I mean what even the typos and things, it has got a feeling of energy and pace. Absolutely. And the thing with all that's in common with all these books, if you've, if you've ever been commissioned to write one of these, and Jason and I have done lots of these Christmas tie-in books that they're trying to do, and they're doing them for one reason only, which is that the Monty Python books in the early 70s sold by the bucket load. Uh-huh. And it meant that every publisher said, whatever the big television show is this year or the big crazies, we want a uh, uh, loads of money book or we want a uh, Mary Whitehouse book. Because it was a guarantee way. You, you, you wrote it quite quickly on quite a quick deadline just filled the thing up and they are basically rag mags is what they basically are they're basically the same thing as they are if you ever ran a, a a college or a school yeah they're, z- they're
4: zines yeah. they're giant zines
0: and, and what you do is you fill them up and the, the joy of this one of course is unlike the python books which are very very high end very uh, colourful with printing jokes this is black and white a bit punky yeah well, simple this- it's scrappy and all it's got in it is energy and pace. Ah, great gags. Yeah, yeah.
4: And a bit of design. But yeah, it looks like it's of its time. It, um, we'll talk about that photo in a minute. Thank you very much. Jason. Jason's Jason. trying to
0: distract from by showing people pictures of Rick in the bath having,
4: Rick, Rick having a crafty tug in the bath <laughs> and um... that was the rudest thing I'd ever seen <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah for everybody I think you did it on purpose because you know I've got a runny bottom that's the other thing about this book I mean I got it when I was about 10 and I was really into the young ones when I was about eight and I don't really know why my parents let me but you know I think it's fairly benign but you know they weren't really it sneaked under the radar we we had a fancy dress competition at school when I was about eight or nine and everyone went as Peter to pan or some <laughs> disney princess And I went as Vivian and and I borrowed a cut-off denim jacket from my cool older cousin and I made dog collars out of black cardboard and stuck foil on to make the spikes. Got like three cans of orange spray from the local fun shop, Fantasia, (laughs) true story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I lived in a cartoon because a joke shop opened up at the end of our street when I was like (laughs) seven called Fantasia. uh, Really? Anyway, and I was walking round this parade in the primary school. Uh, assembly hall, and I was flicking the V's, Yeah. and I had no idea what it meant. And looking back on it now, I can almost see the teacher's thought process, which is he's fl- he doesn't know what it means. Better to just not tell him and <laughs> just let him get on with it. No one will notice. If you tell him, it'll only get worse. Exactly. And so, so that I was obsessed with that. And then this book came out, and I was about ten. And this is um, to me, you know, I haven't got kids, but I'm not a fan of swearing in front of kids as a rule. Certainly not in my career. And I'm not a fan of... I I wouldn't be a fan of, like, letting them watch stuff that I think is, you know, too violent or too sexy or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But books and the written word and the communion that goes on between a reader and an author is a really different thing. And I'm a big fan of kids finding the stuff they want to read and learning pushing the envelope a bit more through the written word and that's what you're allowed to do in books this book also taught me that you can be sort of ruder or more daring in books than you can be in other formats like on TV you couldn't get away with a lot of the gags that are in here, because they're much sexier, they're they're ruder. It's
0: like having headphones on or something.
4: Even when you're doing knob gags, as <laughs> half of Bachelor Boy's The Young Ones book does, there's a kind of banner of okayness that's waved above it all because it's literature at some <laughs> at some level. It is. The written word is a beautiful thing, and it's a different beautiful thing from the spoken word on TV or film there are different rules and there are, there's a different nobility to it even when it's not Actually, gay. The, the, yeah. the same
0: was true of the Python books which are much much ruder than the TV the goodies books are way ruder than the TV well, series so it, it must be the same you, rules
4: that you can do b- this. books are more subversive ultimately than TV and film because they're private and things can get hidden in them the yeah. ideas can yeah. get communicated more telepathically to the reader and you have a dialogue. That's the communion. That's what I love about books. So this book, there, there's stuff in here that, like, if again, if I had like a 10-year-old, I wouldn't want them to read it. But in another way, I'd totally want them to read whatever they found, really. Yes. Because yeah. it's a much more thoughtful processing of what they... And what's interesting to me is that I was looking through this prior to coming here to talk about it, and in my head it was much much swearier than it actually is. Yeah. So even though you know there are things that are inappropriate for a ten-year-old, on one level, it's not full of fucks and things. No, no, not. At all.
3: It would be now probably. But they never were, were they, they? The young ones as characters were always they all their sort of profanities for want of a better word were all quite childish. They were childish. So, <laughs> a lot of bum, wasn't there? It,
4: it, this one, this one gets much. It, it, it goes further. It, you have shit and wanker and things in yeah. this. And bu- well, they had bastard in the show. But I mean, there's a whole bit called "Let's Swear" right at the top. <laughs> <laughs> of this book and some of the examples they give are poo ho gas leak pants toilet trousers farty breath and, and then the last one is stupid ugly bastard face fascist so it's not <laughs> yeah. it's not actually uh, in my yeah. head I was like oh I learnt such profanities from this book but I didn't
0: yeah know. It's, no. it's got the, the, the lovely tone of voice that, uh, that Rick's character's got which is a rebel but a rebel who likes Cliff Richard the music references in The Young Ones are really interesting in and it's all about Santana and Paul McCartney and Cliff Richard even though they had Motorhead and, like, hipper bands on the show, the characters aren't into those <laughs> bands. The characters are into into Steve Hillage and things from the 70s. It's a, it's a really clever thing of they're not being real rebels. Rick is a classic example of an only child and a spoiled kid. They're all not quite as cool as they think they are. Yeah. Mike says he's a cool person, which is the first sign of someone who isn't a cool person. They're not cool or edgy. They are actually just little
3: kids. They're lost. There's a nice, there's a nice how cool are you thing, isn't there, about who would you... Who would you most like to assassinate? Thatcher, Hitler or Orville? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah,
3: it's, I, I mean, because Ben Elton is yeah. a big part of the young ones, half of the words
4: in
0: this book are Thatcher. Yeah, The, uh, and that, the,
4: other, the other half are Knob.
0: That, yeah. that Thatcher joke does not stop being funny. That Almost the end of every sentence is Thatcher. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's almost like, again, they're aware of going, this is what you think an alternative comedian at a nightclub would be like. Thatcher's and they're aware that they're not really being alternative comedians; they're being a piss take. Of th- There's a level of irony in it that I don't think I got the joke at the time, and I still don't 100% get it. But it's delightful.
4: That's another important thing about learning from fiction. This is fiction. You reverse engineer the world from fiction. I spent my life doing this. I still, to this day, I read probably about five percent factual books and 95 fiction. And. You know, that's a big up for me. It used to be one. you know. And so what it means is that I'm understanding the world through other people's thought processes and filterings and opinions, and then I'll reverse engineer and know what I think about yeah. reality. Oh, wow! For instance, do you know the American comic strip Bloom County? There's a bit in it where Opus the Penguin in one of the storylines suffers from an amnesia and he doesn't know who he is and he goes, "Uh, who am I? I? Do I prefer Stephen King or Saul Bellow? So, and I knew who Stephen King was, but in my head at the time, it was like, oh, Saul Bellow must be another horror writer, but more sophisticated. Right. But then later on, you find out Saul Bellow wasn't a horror writer. He was a <laughs> literary giant. And I go, oh, yeah, I didn't get that. But you always reverse engineering in it, it. And if you don't read enough facts and you only read fiction, you'll get a hell of a lot of things wrong in the right way, and you'll yeah. turn into a kooky
0: character. But you're, you're kind of using... It's an exercise for your brain to say, okay, I need to be able to triangulate information Triangulating out of, information, out of data. And there's a great thing about The Young Ones The Young Ones was huge in America, which I didn't realise why. And it was MTV showed it. It was the only non-music thing that they bought up. They bought up loads of it and showed it because it had bands in it. That's why Adrian Edmondson's in Star Wars and things and why a lot of Americans love it. But they were triangulating British culture from this. And you, if you go online, there's all these debates going, who, who is Cliff Richard? What, what, what? And they, they're trying to work out who these people are. Yeah. Cliff Richard's got no footprint in the States. No, God, that's what he's a kind of Pat Boone. He sounds like a guy.
4: vampire, though. Yeah. He, Cliff <laughs> yeah. Richard's got no... He leaves no footprints in the States. Like a
0: very niche sort of <laughs> mythical being. This thing, which has got all these specific cultural references in it, was taken on board by people. Because it was so energetic and young and new wavy and punky, that they went, I want this, and they grabbed it, and they grabbed all the stuff that came with it as well, all the cultural baggage as well, and they're all discussing, like they did with Python and things, who are these people that they're talking about? Not realising that there's a level, a straight, that they don't exist in in normal Britain. They live in a distorted, slightly unhip version of Britain.
4: Right, I mean, look at Northern Seoul. (laughs) No, seriously, they take, you know the north of england falls in love with american yeah. uh you know soul music and rhythm and blues and they take on board this whole kind of badly xeroxed version of what that culture is which isn't to say they don't understand it but it's just a different tra- it's a different yeah. translation and a different set of ideas that the triangulation of culture. And I got, I, I mean, <laughs> that's, yeah, mo- most of what I know is in between the pages of this little toilet book. Maybe,
0: I, maybe that's one of the things that this is because it did appeal to younger people because there's a cartoon, there's a slapstick Tom and Jerryness to the young mm. ones that you got into the young ones before you were their age. I mean, certainly for our generation, I was y- too young for it, uh, even when it was on. So it, it's a little crack into student life and almost like semi-adult life and rebellious life from when you're too young to do that. But you're going to get it all wrong. Some of the information is going to be useful about how to be naughty and how to be rude and stuff, and some of it's going to be a bit distorted and weird. But it is quite a useful thing because it seems I, sort of harmless because of that.
4: It does. I still don't. I still can't quite join all the dots and imagine the young ones as a student house. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't quite land for me. There were things. Doesn't, it doesn't have to. It's just like it takes place. It probably because yeah, it was long before I was a student that I got into the young ones. I and by the time I was a student, the feel of student living wasn't quite like it was in the young yeah. one. So it doesn't feel it doesn't feel real to me at that level, right? But then again in Seinfeld say, I've got no idea how old any of the characters are meant to be. <laughs> They're ageless to me. They they look quite young, but they dress like 48-year-olds, 52-year-olds,
0: yeah. and that's that's a different cultural thing. The, the young ones, there's, there are bits in this. There's the guide to sort of how to share food in a fridge that feels like a yeah. solid rag mag, college magazine, observational thing about student life. And it stands out a mile because it's the kind of thing that's actually an observation of something that really exists. And the strange thing about like the young ones is it, it's an incredibly bad representation of student living because it's inaccurate and it doesn't matter. But at the same time, it's got the the essence of the chaos of adolescence, absolutely spot it, on. It, it, it's, absolutely. it's an allegory for it rather than an accurate thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of, well, you read a lot of criticism of, of comedy programs, especially comedy programs where they go, Oh, yeah, it's set an estate agent, but my mate's an estate agent. Well, they wouldn't really do that. And you go, No, a lot of comedy is allegorically correct rather than. It's not meant yeah. to be a realistic well, painting. Well, the other end
4: of that is the guy who works in the estate agents and says, they should make a show of this place. because it's And it's like, <laughs> oh, no, no, because without God. translation, that's oh, very boring. Oh. It, it, it's reality TV. Yeah, th- there is
0: a version of the young ones that is an accurate depiction of studenthood that probably we wouldn't still be talking
3: about. It would be a thing for that year. It would never have lasted. Well, it's not a bad depiction of the kind of, of the sort of chaos that your head's <laughs> in about that yeah. age, is it? Really? No, but
4: it's an abstraction. And it's a... Yes. and it, uh, And the grubbiness of it. Comes. Yeah. Through, but it it never. I never think of the young ones as oh that informed anything for me about college. The actual (laughs) the actual reality of it. quite It just it sits in a slightly different dimension.
0: What the young ones gets completely right, and what this book this book particularly probably even more on the TV series is this is the inside of Rick and Neil and Mike and Vivian's heads. They're pouring the stuff onto the page because it's been written fast. You can tell it's been written fast. You can tell it's been written by a bunch of people, and oddly without even a photograph of the cast members by it, you can tell who's written each page. Not which of Lisa May and Rick Mayer and Ben Elton's written each mm. page, but which character's yeah. written each page. Because yeah. Yeah. it's all, the inside of their head's poured out almost as if they haven't got any brakes on. They just they just run and it's just a stream of consciousness and they talk to themselves and correct themselves and there's no rules. No-one's gone through and edited this. It's as if there hasn't been time.
4: Well, there's loads of interesting things there. One is that I love it when the characters fight on the same page. <laughs> yes. Like uh, one narrative suddenly breaks off with, oh, shut up, Rick! <laughs> like written in marker pen by Viv. Or sometimes it's not even so obvious as written in marker pen, just another voice intrudes. Yeah, yeah. And you know that in, in the other world, they've grabbed the book off Neil and continued writing. Yeah. It,
0: it's got the animation and, and direction of the TV show but on the page and I don't know it's almost magical the way because it's got so much energy in the writing that you can feel them hitting each other (laughs) For a tie-in book, one of the key things for a TV show is to get some photos of the cast. Very often, when you're writing a book for it, it's, it's done by someone. It's not the cast aren't there. They're off doing a stage show somewhere. They're busy doing something else. This is done as a little filler project on the run-up to Christmas where it's delivered in summer. There has to be some money in the budget to get the cast in and some props for them to dress up, because then you put them on the page and the reader then goes, oh, look, it's Mel and Griff. They, they wrote this book, even though they might not have done. And they've done a lot of that. they put the cast in this, but there's not a lot of photo stories or anything. It's mainly text. There's not a lot of stuff where they're hitting each other. There's a couple and they're beautiful and you get the full expressions. You get Rick's face and you get Ade get Ed Edmondson hitting him and things. But there's, that only happens two or three times. The rest of it is all in your mind because you've seen the show and they've managed to get the show into prose. It's brilliant.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. This taught me a lot about exactly what you're talking about. You can picture this. You can picture the scene behind the text, yeah. and you can picture <laughs> yeah. what you can. You can go, oh, when something is physically crossed out on the page, that's because the guy made a mistake, and then he's carried on after it with. And I, I do that in Mr. Gum. I do bits <laughs> where there's a bit in Mr. Gum and the Goblins where it goes. Um, I'm building atmosphere for a spooky bit. It goes like, and they went up Goblin Mountain. There it stood, like one of those lovely twirls curly curly drinking straws that you do and it goes through there d- and it's across an old witch's finger is then inserted <laughs> after it right and and that that sort of thinking is from this sort of book which is I get to play some design games in my books not as many as you can do in what I I think of these as uh, this the essential comedy book format as a zine format yeah. or a magazine format. It's a modular thing. That's I don't... why you've
0: got a magazine designer doing it.
4: Exactly. It's somebody who's yeah. got that
3: language.
0: Yeah.
4: It's not as, you know, I, when I'm writing a book, I can, I, I'll have a bit where uh, suddenly Mr. Gum and his horrible cronies are singing a song. La, 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 right, and then suddenly it was like, oh, I'm so, ever so sorry about that. Let's bring that to a halt. And then oh, there'll be a note from the publisher and you turn over and there is a designed up page in yeah. this thing that looks like a, you know, a novel for kids where it sort of says, oh, uh, good evening, everybody. So sorry about that. And we brought that song to a halt because it was disgraceful. <laughs> Yours sincerely, Mr. Egmont, they're my publishers, uh, also signed Mrs. Egmont, brackets, Mr. Egmont in address, right? And, then, and, then it's, and now back to the story and you go back to normal font. That is, dialling that sort of stuff in has all come
0: from this type of book and this book in particular. Growing up and seeing these books, they do blow your mind as to what's possible. Exactly. Especially because a lot of the books you're given as a child are quite well behaved. The books that are loved by kids, the classics, the all-time classics play with these. I was saying this to to Nadia Shroom when she came on, said that Alice in Wonderland does it. They bust. The prose goes out of control. Winnie the Pooh, he sits on the letters sometimes. Yes. Kids Mm -hmm. love that thing of going, oh, I know it's meant to be a book and well behaved, but sometimes the pictures bump into the text. The text bumps into the pictures. Sometimes the words are badly behaved. There's loads of that in kids' books now. But that really went mad with these comedy tie-in books that you'd get at Christmas for, as a stocking filler because the Pythons would do tip-ins of other books and whatever we did it once because the point is anything goes in these books and we did it once in one of our friendly books that in the middle of it were two pages cut of, out of a Jamie Oliver cookbook yes. that we just tipped in and, and looked as if they'd been guillotined the wrong size so bits of the recipe were missing because like Jamie Oliver's books were made in the same factory as ours were we yeah, it would yeah. be quite funny if they had been misbound yeah. but that joke just says the, the edge of this book isn't the page and the edge of this book isn't a two-dimensional black and white series of words. There's someone writing it. There's someone binding it. There's right. someone drawing it. There are physical people making this.
3: While we're on that production thing, by the way, I remember thinking when I got this book um, that I was, I was slightly disappointed that it wasn't in colour because The Young Ones as a programme was so blindingly colourful yeah. ridiculously so almost. And I understand now, obviously, that it's, its production considerations and costs and things like that, but I do remember thinking, oh, it's in black and white. That doesn't feel like the young one's world. That feels like it's a different precinct. But it is and it is punky. Yeah,
0: it is. It, 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 it looks yeah. like sniffing glue. It feels
4: right. <laughs> then the next one that came out, really, uh, the, the, Neil's Book of the Dead was very niche. Yes and it was a sort of take off of Timothy Leary type transcendental books and it's not for everyone is it and I
0: <laughs> That's
4: I, it. I, I mean I remember triangulating some more information out of that a few years yeah, later yeah. when I came across it but it didn't stick with me but the the one after this that stuck with me was um Adrian Edmondson's How to be a complete bastard by Lian was not it yeah and that that was colourful i think again thinking about coming to talk on this show i thought yeah this was really the one i had and then i started remembering others actually i had had to be a complete bastard uh, the Spitting Image book was excellent for me. I, I should say now that I've stolen jokes from all of these books. Uh, Have you I've stolen totally? I've learned joke shapes yep, and templates, yeah. but I've actually stolen things and remixed them slightly. I've stolen things from The Spitting Image book, from The Bachelor Boys by the Score. Um, in my head, if you've internalised it and not looked at it for twenty yeah. years, it, and it's part of your mulch now, it is. Uh, if I steal something and I'm really aware of it, I will. I will take it out as it were but one line from Bachelor Boys made it in wholesale to Mr. Gum, because I, um, I, I, put it, I think I put it in as a little placeholder for myself and forgot to change it, right? And there is a couple of photo stories in Bachelor Boys, and the first one's called Who Farted? And <laughs> so, like, they're all sitting around going, Lord Lummy Cripe's alive, who's dropped that revolting guff? And the rest of them go, not me! And then, that's the meatiest whopper that's ever been guffed. I can't breathe this, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> right, and in Book 8 of Mr. Gum... They're riding through the little town of Lamonic Bibber, and my character, Alan Taylor, the gingerbread man with electric muscles, there's all this fetid meat smell in the air. He goes, I can't breathe this, I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) And I I just forgot, that was a note to me to get a joke there. And it it made it through. It made it through. I don't think it's stealing if you accidentally stole it, it's like walking out of Sainsbury's with a can of peaches down your trousers. (laughs)
2: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com
1: slash weight loss.
0: The thing with these books as well is that back in the day when you might, again, we're talking about a million years ago, where you might not have owned the television or the video recorder was downstairs, you didn't have one in your bedroom. You couldn't watch the young ones again and again and again. But you could read the book again and again and again, and you could read it on your own, and it was an intimate thing. It's like giving someone one of those chord books for like 100 Beatles songs. You learn them, and then you can repeat them. The word
4: is that this is really what I wanted to talk about for sure. It's studying it. Yes. You study these books, whether you're doing it in the toilet or in bed... Uh, those are the two best places to do... Or in the bath. Or in the bath, eh? Hey? <laughs> eh, <Hey> readers? <laughs> oh, matey bubble blah Um... You, that's you, still you, the rudest you, thing. But, but it is the rudest thing. Um, we should post a picture of it online or something. It's, but
0: it's measured by Jodrell Bank as the rudest thing that's ever happened. Good
4: <laughs> gracious.
3: Uh, Jodrell Bank it uh, because uh, of the slam slam there, slam yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> but that comes It's from. full of whimsy as well, this book, isn't yeah. it? I was surprised how whimsical it is, because that's not, that's not a word I would have but, associated but, what, with the young ones. Well, but it's it, things like the household hints bit with... How to get? I mean, there's some great stories oh, in there. God. How to get bird shit out from under the carpet? How to get a fish out of the television set? Yeah. You, do, then, you bend a pin, and it's just instructions on getting the fish out. How to how to how to cope with there being a transistor radio in your cornflakes? You know, but, the, but the,
4: these are all the things that. Like because uh, you know, as you guys know better than most, you know, a comedy writer has a whole bunch of stuff that they want to hit, and there's no, there's where better place
0: to cram it into than at yeah. the corners. You're filling this book up, and you mustn't be lazy filling it up. You want to fill it till it's but, brimming over.
4: But you kept, ca- but like you, you accept that if you're writing a book like this, and you're Ben Elton and Rick Mal and Lisa Mayer or whatever you go like well this is going to be about the young ones that's going to be the touchstone for it we keep coming back to it it's the young ones that's the world we all know the world we're never going to t-. but then you go but I can I can play a few scales that I wouldn't normally yeah. and you go well there's a part of me that just wants to make a personal joke there or just make a joke that that's obscure enough to make me and six of my pals laugh yes it's, 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 you, get yeah. to,
0: you get to put in your it's own limitless. apocrypha oh yeah, yeah. It, but, it, but it is limitless there's a brilliant thing we talked to the Gibbons brothers about this who wrote the Alan Partridge memoirs yeah and I said, well, how, how, how many drafts did that going?" And they went, no, literally, we just write to the page. We have a limited deadline, which is usually quite short. And the point is, every day, a page has got to be filled with whatever we put in it. We split it between us. We do half of it each. And... The, the joke we said is that Alan would never do a second draft, so we don't do a second draft. But anything in his head, i.e. anything in our heads, is fair game for this. It doesn't have the same process as a television programme where you have to persuade someone to buy the prop to do this. There's very little production that would slow you putting every idea in the world. And we found this doing comedy Christmas books, is everything is grist to the mill because everything fills this up. Mm. The the biggest job is you must fill this bucket. What You can put anything you like in it, And at the end of the day, there has to be more in the bucket than there was at the beginning of the day, and that is the only measure of success as a writer of one of these books. So it leaves you completely liberated. So you get to see bits of the writer's brains you wouldn't do in a TV programme. And
4: I'll add one more rule, which is not a hard one to adhere to, which is that those apocrypha things that you put in... Must not contradict the main world. Yes. So, like, if if suddenly you you know you discovered that Rick Mail just really had to talk about his love of Mussolini, his <laughs> actual and ironic yeah. love, which he didn't—that wasn't a thing. Yeah. But you wouldn't know which of the young ones' brains yes was mm. it wouldn't fit into there the world. There are rules. The, the the rules are easier to adhere to because it's you writing yeah. this you know it's you're like you're the right person to write it spiritually because you get the humor <laughs> right you know what i mean and i mean i don't mean you joel and you jason i mean it is one who it's is authored. writing this yeah. it's awesome
0: and the, yeah the point is the, li- the limits of it why it's exciting i think reading any of these books that have been filled up by either the writing team on a show or a, a creator or a team of creators is there anything out of their brains that they feel should go in this book will be right.
4: Exactly. It's an instinctive and vibey you thing. You couldn't
0: explain it to someone. And we, we found that when we, when we did Framley, I think. We, that was an incredibly dense thing of trying to fill 120, 200 pages of tiny, tiny print. And some friends of ours who are very good comedy writers said, can we could contribute? And we kind of went, oh, that'd be great. That'd be really helpful. Within well, about two days, you realised that people sort of couldn't because they'd get it 2% wrong. Yeah. And the only thing that was keeping this thing solid was that it was four of us writing it who knew it inside out and knew what didn't count. Yeah. Exactly. You yeah.
4: ha- I mean, I've had this before with Mr. Gum where I've had uh, certain people wanting to collaborate with me and turn it into something before you know that never went anywhere. And I had a well-known comedian once wanting to write a mis- Mr. Gum musical with me. And it was very hard to explain to him why it's funny that Mr. Gum slips in a gatto, but not a trifle, for yeah, instance. Yeah. And you're like, and you can't explain it except to say, I I, I know every internal pulley, and yeah. uh, but I, I it's a feel machine inside yeah. you, and you're so familiar with the material, you know. If somebody uses the comedy word eggs, the way I use the w- word eggs. And the way somebody else uses it in their comedy, it's a different sort of eggs, mate. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's another reason but why they fit you fit can... them in
4: at different places. But I think it's
0: another reason why you can borrow the shapes and the th- and the, the patterns and the chord progressions you've learned from these yes. books. You can use them yourself, and you will get them wrong. They'll be different. I, did, for instance, that Mr. Gum joke that you borrowed, I wouldn't read that and go, "That's from the young ones," because it sounds different in sounds... on that on that instru- on those instruments. But, Same chords, different instruments.
4: But also, the other end of that is that if you're if you're borrowing from any- anywhere, and everyone's borrowing from everywhere, that's. a yeah. Bit of an un, unspoken secret, isn't it? Or it should be. You know, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants or trying to clamber up their trousers. And um, but, you, you know, you're borrowing from places, but you have to internalise it. There's no it's, I say stealing and I use that really loosely. It's not stealing. It's building on what you know and love. Yeah. You've transla- You've taken someone's translation of reality, which in this case is three comedy writers making The Bachelor Boys book it's got it, they've processed reality into comedy you unprocess it back decide what it all means decide what the currency of what they've yeah. told you is worth and how to redeploy it you add everything else you know and so long as you've reprocessed it and move it on it will come out different yeah oh there's so many rip offs to of mr gum but no one else <laughs> knows i'm conscious of them um and I like them. They're games to me. Like they're, they're low. Typically, they're low rent versions of other things found in children's books. I, I mean, I'll give you one easy one. But like, lots of the Mister Gum uh, books end with everybody in town. Having a big feast because yes. you know, the, the, the peril is over and yeah. everyone in town has a big feast, and that's just taken wholesale from Asterix, yes. which always yeah. ended <laughs> like that. Scrunch, scrunch, The concept is taken wholesale, and then it, but I plug my characters in and do it my way. But I just thought that's a lovely way to end a, a, a story. <laughs> that's very communal and warm.
3: Yeah, we have one. We, there's one that we relied on a few times in the Ladybird books, which is um, going somewhere and then landing vague. So we, I think we did something about um, huh. a, a guy has bought uh, the, uh, the light from a lighthouse and he's installed <laughs> it in his shoe shop. Um, he hopes this will make some important point or Yeah, other, yeah, That yeah. thing. And then we realised that we, we, we took that from the meaning of Lyft. Yeah. About that... Um, the, the, yeah, the sound of a single-engined aircraft flying by while you're lying in a field in the middle of summer which leaves you with a profound feeling of something or other.
0: Right,
4: so it's it starts that. off really specific yeah. and then just goes... And then just goes
0: mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like and you, you flop out. And the, the shape of that was always pleasing. So you went, well, oh, I can use that in my mm. comedy. And again, all these things, because you, mm-hmm. you're right, you study these books, and you study these mm. books probably more than you study... This comes up again and again on this show. People studied records because uh-huh. they had their headphones on, they'd listen to the Monty Python records, and they'd learn them, or, the, or, or Derek and Clive or whatever. You'd study them, and you'd study these books because they're private, they're intimate... And you have the time to carefully look at them. Yes. Which you don't do if something's going past in real time when you're watching one film at the cinema once or an episode when it's on TV. You get more chance, I suppose, in a YouTube age to watch things again and again. But still, this, these don't happen in real time, so you get time to absorb them. That's why I like kids finding things to read
4: that are out of, their, uh, out of what you would call at the appropriate level. Yeah. Oh there's a, there's slight, it's a slightly uh, more elastic membrane for books than it is for film and TV and it's exactly that because if I read the word wank in the bachelor in bachelor boys when I was 10 or so which I did I could think about it in front of me and meditate on it I know that sounds wrong but um <laughs> but no I could work out what the currency of it was Yeah yeah you know at it's all going to sound wrong at
0: length, at my leisure. But <laughs> <laughs> On your own, you um... could sit in a private, comfortable time. Well, actually, I mean, to be honest... The, the, Should we the... talk about Matey? It's well, the most famous but page come on, in let's the book. It's Mate, Mate, a page in here which you remember. But weirdly, I was about to those, say... We're, we're comparing this to, the, to the, the, the the Ur text, which is probably the, the first Python books and things. And there's a page about masturbation in the Python books Yeah. that I remember being absolutely dynamite when I said it. And it was because it was a word and a phrase and an idea that wasn't in culture anywhere else, but it was definitely in comedy books. The word yeah. wank, the idea of masturbation, which it seems weird that it wasn't. All other sorts of sexiness and, and, and sort of Kenny Everett and boobs and things and all that and, and, and sort of and, and nookie and all those sort of things were very much the currency of the times and, and were referred to in all comedy, in the two Ronnies and things, the stuff that was meant to be family. But oddly, this was a weird corner of stuff that was only in comedy books. And all yeah. of it blowing my mind.
3: Yeah, there was, I think you sort of get away with... You get away with kind of ex-certificate material, don't you, in a book better than you do <laughs> on TV. Because okay. on TV, it's kind of... It's just asking for trouble. But in a book, it's just asking for a laugh, there, isn't it? Uh,
4: language has a bigger remit on the page. It has a bigger yeah. sphere. Yeah.
0: My dad went through my copy of Not 1982 or 3, the great big yeah. fat uh, almanac ones with two, two pages per day, And he took a standing knife to it and took out the dirty bits. What? Because I would have been about 11 or 12 when I was reading them. And he said, this is not suitable for you. And I said, there's days missing. Like, you you could definitely spot a day is missing because they label them in day order. Especially it (laughs) was a calendar. And I went, but June the 10th's gone. And he went, no, that wasn't for you. He'd gone through and he'd gone, because he was aware that this was a dirtier place than watching it on TV. Wow. Censorship in my house. (laughs) I mean,
4: it's like like the M&M safe for radio version. There's (laughs) like one, one word. De- My f- beep. Beep. I'm Melon beep. Farmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean really it's either MM or it ain't
3: MM, you know. No. Uh- <laughs> Reading this page. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'll. Shall I try a Rick impression? I'll do a half of a Rick impression because I'm not an impressionist. Hello, mateys, says Rick of TV's famous Whoops, my bottom's farted. Aren't <laughs> Bath's boring? but not anymore with new matey foam bath. Remember that horrid moment when you've just started to wash your private bits and mum comes in to discuss your homework? Well, with a matey foam bath, you can wash your willy as fast as you like and mum needs never know <laughs> Fast! Mate, matey helps you work up a lava in more ways than one. Perhaps they should change his name from matey to wanky. Right, kids? <laughs> and in the middle of the, occupying the page is this picture of Rick Mayle uh, in a bath, which is overflowing, a filthy bath which is overflowing with suds. And Rick Male, who was a very beautiful man, it has, again, one of the magic qualities he's had. He's made himself so ugly in this photograph. <laughs> he, <laughs> so unappeal- he, he looks so unappealing. He looks so much like a teenage boy's idea of what a wanker
4: is. He like. looks like a fifth-rate version of Johnny Rotten crossed with one of those uh, little naked mole rats or something. He's like
0: a <laughs> goblin-faced... Uh, yeah, like it- a gremlin it- or something. It's... It-
4: yeah, he, he doesn't, it, and he's, he's it's 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 not savoury guys. It's, it's,
3: it's, if there's anybody in the world you would less like to catch wanking <laughs> and see what their wank face <laughs> looks like, it's this guy with his rat's tail hair.
0: It's actually the, the revolting bits, the the big full page photo uh, one. This this is this is Rick's big soul. The the Vivian one is look at my lovely spot. Yes, where he's <laughs> talk about celebrating having spots because grown ups and Thatcher and Genghis Khan don't have spots. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but Thatcher. Yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant page. But those big, revolting pages they really hit you, and one of the things that really makes this book fantastic is that the the cast have thrown themselves into it yeah we 've had I remember well, the first experience we ever well, the first job we ever did professionally for money as a pair of us uh, in comedy was writing a tie-in book for Russ Abbott for BBC years ago when we were kids. And we did it for a flat fee for a bit of money on the side. And we said, because we'd read these books before, we said, we'll get Russ and he'll dress up as Basil and Barnum, and he'll dress up as the, the mountain and he'll dress up as Cooper Man. And they went, no, he won't. He won't do that. He won't do that. And it was a time when, when stars wouldn't do that. They would. It was extra money. And the story we were told by, I think, Peter Vincent, who was putting the book together, he said he'd, he'd done a 2 Ronnie's joke book and he'd written the whole thing, and it was going to be... the Most of the money was going to the RONs, and he'd written the whole thing on a flat fee. And he said, can, it, can I have some photographs? And they went, no, absolutely not. And he brought his own camera to a writing meeting and just snapped ten photos of them against a wall, and that was the illustrations of the book. And he said, it's impossible to get stars to join in. They don't want to join in the, the, the cash-in stuff when they reach a certain size. But these guys are throwing themselves in 100%, and it really makes the book work, because it's suddenly got their... It feels like it's seamlessly part of the television program yeah. rather than a bolt-on, yeah. and it's faces like that. It's that you're getting full Rick mail. It's amazing. Also,
3: none of it. I think I'm right in saying none of it is TV material rewritten for the no. book. Is no, no. Which is the other thing that can happen with these ones.
4: No, this is all. This is all. Brand, fresh, brand, fresh
3: brand new overflow, fresh filth. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, Um I've got some proper jokes now. I love the the interview with David Bowie that's clearly yeah. taking place at Wembley Stadium, what? with him just singing in the background and Neil not getting any straight answers that's a out
4: of it. Brilliant joke, proper joke. And there's a there's a there's a photo of the stadium crowd at Wembley. You know, it's a long range photo, and there's just an arrow to a blob. On the page, which is already low res, yeah. and it just says Neil, and then there's another arrow to the stage, Bowie. <laughs> it, it, it's, I mean, that taught me a lot. It's funny, yeah. and then um, I was just thinking about the kind, this kind of language thing again, though. Right, these days, when you can put fuck and cunt and shit and whatever you want on TV, yeah. it's all been devalued. So yeah. when, so it's harder to see the split in some ways between what's on TV, uh, filth wise and sort of, but how do you push it further when you go into a comedy book? I'd still suggest that it's not just the language, it's the kind of depth of the ideas. Like, even though it's very silly political point-making, like Ben Elton's obsession with the Russian Revolution... and Trotsky. Yeah, Trotsky (laughs) comes up all the time in this book. Trotsky vies for Thatcher, uh, vies with Thatcher for a sort of word count. Uh, but also
0: the feeling of the, the, the feeling of like a slightly adolescent understanding of politics and trying to sound grown up by putting politics. When Rick's got his play that he's written and the, the climax of the play, the last last line of the play is, "Is look out everybody, nuclear war end." And you go, that's yeah. a really good understanding of someone not grasping a subject but wanting to put it in because they need to be seen to do it. Right, it's reaching for but, language that's beyond you.
4: But it also, yeah. But also, apart from Rick being a pathetic, naive sort of wannabe, who's constantly exposing his own sort of lack of real cred, (laughs) which is a brilliant character, just the sheer weight of references to what is... You know, fairly obscure Marxist-Leninist stuff. (laughs) But, you know, Ben Elton made it not obscure by bringing that into comedy. But the sheer weight of that, and, you know, if you hear Trotsky enough, you start to go in your tent who was Trotsky, right? Who was Stalin? And then there'll be things that are a little further. You know, the fact they had Alexei Sale on the young one, sort of doing... The revolutionary biscuits of Italy Rise up out of the box You have nothing to do with the wafers Yum, 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 yum." I've never seen that one, but... um, um, you know, uh, they uh, you, you, all of this is code. It's it, all of this is clues. You go, uh, look. I've just opened it at random, and it's the pages of Leon Trotsky's. Just fancy that. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mike. It's going well,
3: isn't it?
0: They're constantly reaching for words, even within this book, where you could be rude. They're looking for new ways of doing language. So it has got all those lovely sort of poopy plot bottom pants yeah. stuff in there. That's really good. And my, one of my favourite things I've forgotten from it, I, just, I read it this morning and loved, is the, game, the cheesy feet game, where the command to take your socks off is, cheese it, you rebels. <laughs> <laughs> cheese it, you rebels, is one of the best combinations of words ever written. And again, they could have sworn there. And they don't. They go for something deliberately slightly childish, but also a lovely combination it, of words.
4: It's got such gusto. <laughs> I, it, it really has. Like, cheese it you rebels. That's absolute right there. I mean, I you know I haven't read this word for word to come and talk today because I like to have it hold it in my head. Yeah. And sort of, you know, because because it, it's in me. But cheese it you rebels. That is. There's a direct line from Cheese at You Rebels to how I write for Mr. Gum.
0: Yeah, that was the first thing I thought, mm. was that I can hear you through in my head. When you read that, and I read that as a kid, and I found that one of the funniest things, I probably said it again and again to my brothers, it became a thing we said. I loved it, and it meant that when I want to reach for something now that gets that reaction out of someone else, that's in my DNA. There's Some of this is just about sticking words together that shouldn't go together and having them in character. It's for a, a book that is palpably and demonstrably someone filling as many pages as they can, as fast as they can. What you've got there is basically automatic writing. You're saying to the people who invented the young ones on television, just quick, everyone, as fast as you can, all your thoughts. And weirdly, that's when you get the essence of people. This is purer and more essentially the silliness that gave you that series than probably the series is, because it's not diluted with rehearsals or having to persuade Paul Jackson it's a good idea. Or
4: you can... You can't fit it all into twenty-two minute. Well, BBC, <laughs> you can't fit it into half an hour. Yeah, you know, um, thirty-five you,
0: minutes here once. Was it thirty-five? Because it had music in the middle. Take it back. What, you maybe? can
4: talk. You can fit it into <laughs> thirty-five minutes, but they didn't. No, you, you, you can't. You can't fit in every last thought. You can't. You can You can't fit it into anything. But you can. You can put a hell of a lot of it—the overspill and the routines that didn't go anywhere yeah. or weren't good—as a back and forth amongst the characters, or the ideas that from the cutting room floor that the, you then pick up and, like you say, run with in an inspired way towards the finish line to get them in there.
2: Action! Ah, it's not an automatic.
3: I've been starstruck twice in my life, right? Once was when I saw Jacqueline Wilson at Waterloo Station and I ran over and terrified her by fanboying all over. Really? And the other Jacqueline time- Wilson? Yeah. Not Jackie Wilson. There's no. A Jacqueline Wilson. Jacqueline Wilson. The why,
4: why, why are you a fanboy for Jacqueline Wilson?
3: Because my, uh, my kids have read loads of her books and I've read them to them when they were younger and they're so beautifully written. As a children's author, you get to see stuff, Jason. I have seen
4: Jacqueline Wilson riding a camel in the desert, it's true, and... What? And belly dancing.
0: This is like the end of Blade
4: Runner. Right. Good. Musical sting, please. As a children's author, you get to see stuff, Jason. I have seen Jacqueline Wilson riding a camel in the (laughs) desert, it's true, and belly dancing.
3: The other time I was starstruck was a few years ago, we were at the thing at the BBC... And I was sitting a row behind Lisa Mayer and I couldn't bring myself to speak to her because I was so starstruck.
4: I wouldn't know what Lisa Mayer looks like. To this day, and I didn't even hear the pronoun there because I just didn't hear it, I still don't know if Lisa Mayer is a man or a woman. I think it's a, I think she's a woman. She is a woman. A
0: woman. Uh, I found out this morning, this is a good fact for you, do you know why Vivian's name is spelt Vivian? V-Y-V-A. I did not. It is Lisa Mayer's road in Bristol was Vivian Road. No. Named after the Cornish landowners, the Vivian family, who gave us Rupert Everett is a descendant. What? There's my fact. Tornado for Ev- you. Oh. Vivian Road. You can find it's in Clifton in Bristol. She was just obviously looked out the window and went Vivian. That's a good. Name.
4: Everyone's everyone's father.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> music. <laughs> We should, we, should do, we should end with some reading, shouldn't we? Should we end, just I, read can, some yeah, favourite yeah. bits out. Can, can we read some favourite bits, yeah? Yeah, should we, do, guess, that? Yeah. Should we do that? Uh, could, could, Andy, could you please read Rick's teen anguish poem, please? Yeah.
4: Um, I, I like the intro as well, though. The first way to beat the blues is to write a poem. I wrote this one, and it's brilliant. And it helped me a lot. So that's my advice to you. If you're feeling depressed, read my poem. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great gag, isn't it? Yeah. Rick's teen anguish poem. Oh, God. Why? Am I so much more sensitive than everybody else? (laughs) Why do I feel things so much more acutely than them and understand so much more? I bet I'm the first person who ever felt as rotten as this. Could it be that I'm going to grow up to be a great poet and thinker and all those other wankers in my class are going to have to work in factories or go on the dole?
0: Yes, I think it could. (laughs) (laughs) That's just reminded me that the other great icon of exactly this era was Adrian Mole. And I remember reading Adrian Mole at the same time as this. And Rick and Adrian Mole being the two people who basically showed me how to get through adolescence. And obviously that's a joke about how to get through adolescence. But I think they were both very, very useful to understand that feeling of why, why me, why am I so sensitive? They were really empathetic depictions of that experience of adolescence. And I don't know how I'd have got through without the pair of them. They were absolutely brilliant. And it's a stupid bum joke wanky book and they're not but it's even real in- are
4: they that's good isn't it yeah, they're not fantastic. even real they're yeah, just they ideas made up by squiggles
0: people. on pages and that someone yeah. made that happen but it's, they, i think it's a there is a valuable thing in the young ones especially because you read it and experienced it when you were slightly younger that it did help get you through by making it so the worst thing about being a teenager is taking yourself very seriously and saying that it's silly and funny and you might end up as a hippie or it's great it's really
4: useful. um to sort of not to disparage the quite deep points you made there one of my, fa- my favourite bits is when there's a photo of Neil and Vivian has written on it in marker hello I am a turd that didn't teach me anything except funny <laughs> it's just brilliant and, and, it's, and, such and, a, it's such a big pen yeah yeah, yeah. Well. and so yeah I mean <laughs> and, and it's the perfect photo can we please can we put photos up online can you do that these yes. days but um, it, but that is an example of absolute perfect no punctuation just completely run on <laughs> hello I am a turd it's yeah. so it's so without it's just so without nuance it's so <laughs> it's brutal
1: give me it
0: no one uh, ever talks about Mike do they uh, I really no. like Mike as a character I think one of the easiest things in the world to say is that uh, Mike's rubbish and I think one of my favourite lines in the whole of The Young Ones is shut up Rick Now one's on fire
4: <laughs> <laughs> well he's an interesting one because like you know, I've I think it was who wrote that big radio radio four guide to comedy, Mark Lewisham was all yeah, yeah. and I think he makes the point that, you know, they thought they were making an anti sitcom with the young ones, but if you look at it, Mike and Neil are the mum and dad, yeah or the dad and mum. Yeah. And Rick and Vivian are the kids, and that's
0: a useful thing. And to you c- can't do it without the dad. You've got to a If you look at it as well, he's, he's, the le- he's the least fun one, but none of the plots happen without him. He drives things on. Mm. And they're, they're all given things to do by there being a mic there. And I, I think Chris Ryan's great in it as well. He, he's exactly right. He balances them up. I agree, nasty. I
4: agree. I just think uh, he's he's hard to talk about because you feel like he's the Ringo or you're defending yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I, I always like his relationship with Viv, though. Yes, they always had a little Again. alliance going on, and I—I I think Viv—they used to, you know, Viv scored some money off Rick or something. He'd
0: literally tear it in half and <laughs> give half to Mike. Half to him, <laughs>
4: idiots. Yeah, <laughs> half to him,
1: Mike.
0: Thank you, Viv. It's, this is a book about you are putting into amber, you're preserving comic voices, yeah. and it's just done in prose. It requires nothing else.
4: Right. Mr. Gum has a lot of Vivian, the way I do him on audio, and the way that Steve First, in fact, will be doing him on uh, on stage. Oh, it's it's not going to be Vivian, but that's, it's dialed in. Yeah, yeah. Because you, Shut up, Billy!
0: But you know how to do that, because again, this book I has know, shown it, you you can encode yep. performances of this size. Huge, huge live characters. stage performances can be turned into little words on a page.
3: Very often when you are writing, though, I, I do you find this? I do, definitely. I've got a voice in my head that I can hear of that character, even though this thing doesn't exist yet.
0: Yeah. But there are there are tones and, 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 and colours in this. In a black and white textbook, they've managed to put they've managed to somehow encode the whole of the feel of this very, very vibrant, musical, loud, slapstick show. Yeah. And I still I think it is a really good achievement because it's a black and white mainly textbook. Yeah but we all studied it growing up and it's all gone into our DNA and I think possibly in a way as much more than the TV show it's it's really important
4: for me it has for me it absolutely has uh, the one the one thing that this book doesn't do that was my cross to bear is that it doesn't have to sustain one narrative no oh yeah so actually what it taught me was how uh, lots and lots of shapes for routines lots of templates lots of games to play and then develop my own from but it doesn't tell you how to sustain some semblance of stakes and storyline because they always have a get out they can always pop the bubble and then you turn over the page and it's cookery whereas before it was about you know,
0: flower arranging. But I suppose that's another one of the reasons why these books are so delightful is because they don't have to do that. They it's, only have one job, oh, which is to put all the jokes in the world in. It's, they are it's, basically a, a super course, a comedy yeah, course. It's
4: not a failing at all. What it, but what it gave me was a, um, a whole sort of toolbox to then dial into a slightly different form, which was Brilliant. one narrative. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. What well, that is that is. What a thing to have achieved in the most unlikely way. Huh. And I'm, so, I'm so glad, because you suggested this, and I thought this is a brilliant idea to talk about this as a, as a, a, a crash course in comedy mm. writing. And it's been brilliant to look at it and just... Oh, it's, it's blown my mind how much was in this that I've completely forgotten. So that's brilliant. Thank you, Andy. What a wonderful thing to bring in. Cheers. Thank
4: you so Thanks, much, Andy. guys. Oh, you know, you go. <laughs>